Welcome to Crossroads, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and Christian living. Crossroads is part of the media ministry at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. Get to know us by visiting us online at fapc.org. Hi, I'm Jamie Staley, Director of Christian Education at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. And I'm here today with two of our congregation members, Hannah Bell and Salome Neufel. And we are here to continue our conversation um, about stories and the stories of people in our community. Last month, uh, I met with Dr. Kathy Maxwell and we began a conversation about what subversive storytelling looked like. And the conclusion that we ended up at um, is that stories are important to not only to tell, but to hear and to listen to. And this month, we are kicking that off with these awesome ladies from our congregation who are um, going to be talking about their own stories, uh, their personal stories of race and racism with me. So thank you both for being with me today. Thanks for having us, Jamie. I'm really grateful to be here to share this space with you two right now, but to also share part of my story as much can be fit in a, in a podcast with this community that I dearly love. So it's, it's really an honor and I'm humbled to do it. Um, I'd like to begin by saying, I'm thinking of, of Warner's words uh, bouncing through my mind right now that our stories are sacred. So my story is one that the road was winding. Uh, I consider myself an all-American in that I've lived all over America. (laughs) Uh, I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin um, in the 80s. I'm the youngest of five children. I have four older brothers. My dad is black. My mom is white. Um, You can't see me on the podcast, so we're talking about race, so I'm just going to spell it out for you. So... um, I was aware of race from a very young age, having two parents in an interracial marriage. Um, Yeah, so I grew up from zero to nine in Milwaukee. And then when my parents divorced, my mom moved back to North Dakota because that's where her family is. um, And that's where she was raised. Uh, So I spent from nine to 23 in North Dakota. And then when I finished college, I went to Hawaii because one of my brothers had done the Navy. So he was stationed in Pearl Harbor. So everybody migrated. So I spent five years in Hawaii before I moved to New York. And I've been in New York eight years. And I also did some time in the Air National Guard, which brought me to Texas and Mississippi. And actually, my dad's people are from Mississippi. So that felt like something to me to like feel the environment that part of it that produced him. So yeah, aware of race early and often. Um, And what was my first personal experience with race? It was very, very personal. I remember being a child and we lived in inner city Milwaukee and people would look at my parents because my dad was black and my mom was white and we were living in a predominantly black community. Um, And in, in my experience at the time, like it it was, it wasn't a thing that was blatantly um, called out, but it was definitely not a thing that people saw every day. 
Um, and my first experience being aware of that is when we were sitting at home and somebody threw a brick through our window and tried to hit my mother. <laughs> so that was my first experience with like, oh, this thing that is to me, it's my two parents to other people. It has, it can be provocative and it, it can, it can cause people to, to lash out. Wow. To, to build on that a little, a little bit, what, what kinds of messages did your parents give you about race or what, what, what did input did they give you? It wasn't talked about. It was not talked about. It's not like we sat down for dinner and my dad's like, I'm black and so are you. And my mom's like, yeah, but I'm also white. And so, so are you. Um, it just wasn't talked about. And I think that has that particular thing has more to do with my family dynamics than anything else. Um, and that so it was so to answer the question, it wasn't talked about. I don't think that's an uncommon experience for anybody, but it was particularly confusing for me for many years because it wasn't talked about and it wasn't really acknowledged in any way that that. Yeah, it just wasn't talked about. And this question's, a, I guess, a little more, not off topic, but a little more, more focused. What, uh, you know, since we're having this conversation as a part of a faith community, um, what, what color God was presented to you as a child? Or was, was God a, a figure, a person in your mind as a child? So that's another winding road of my story. Um, I was actually raised Seventh-day Adventist. Oh, wow. Um, so there wasn't I can't remember images of Jesus from uh, Sabbath school, um, but I do remember like um, what is lovingly called the the image of Malibu Jesus, uh, blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus. And you, you just don't question it as a child. You're like, oh, that's what Jesus looked like. Yeah. So, yeah, that was that was the image. Salome, kind of along those same lines, can you start off just the conversation and just tell us a little bit about your childhood? I know I do know that you are um, a teenager, so <laughs> you know you go up as far as you want. You don't have to just share the stuff from when you were little. Um, but just what was your childhood like, and and what was your first personal experience in dealing with race or racism? Yeah, sure. Um, so I was born and raised in New York. Um, I think I'm I'm lucky to have. I've uh, been born in New York. I think it's very, very diverse city. Um, so from pre-K to eighth grade, um, I went to a private French school on the Upper East Side with a 90 to 95% white student body. Um, so that was, that was, it was, it was a good environment. I, I never felt like diff I I never felt different or I, I never I was never bullied but um yeah and then after um for for high school uh I I changed schools I'm now at a public school and it's it's such a different environment to just be with people that that look like you and are just from different different places around the world and have different stories and experiences um to share and so I guess one of my uh, first experiences with racism would be um, at school, people would ask to touch my hair. And this, this still happens to me, still happens to me today in, in high school. Um, 
every time I have my natural hair out, people always ask me to touch my hair. Um, Salome, how do you respond to that? I, I used to be like, sure, okay, whatever, but now it's just it's just it's just annoying. Like I'm not I'm not a pet. I'm just I'm a person. My my hair my hair is is different. Yes, but um, yeah. So I've kind of grown impatient when when people ask me that now. I I got that. Uh, the only reason I ask is I got that all through high school. I, I want to touch your hair. Can I touch your hair? And it's it it comes from curiosity, uh, but it's just like people don't understand how it put how on the spot I felt. And now I have to say yes or no. And if I say no, what does that say about me? You know, so it's just like I, I always felt like it was an impossible situation. Um, but I struggle with boundaries in general. So <laughs> uh, that is hard. Salome, similar question that I asked Hannah, what messages do you recall getting from your parents about race? Um, I think my my dad always, you know, he talked to me and my brother about how, you know, we were different and we we had to just work work hard and sometimes we weren't going to get the respect that we deserved. We just had to work to to get to where we deserved and yeah, my my dad has been pretty he's been enforcing that a lot. Yeah. How was God presented to you as a child? Um have you attended FAPC? How long have you been attending Fifth Avenue? Yeah, since I think I was like maybe two years old or three years old. Okay. Um, so I basically grew up at FAPC and God was always white to me. Just a white, well, as a child, just a white man with like the long hair, kind of like the, the Jesus figure. Yeah, just oh, definitely a white man. Mm, yeah. And that was... And, and that was a, a, attending at FAPC. That is a good, uh, good critique of of our community. I think to be able to recognize that that is something that that you've come away from, come away with from from our from our own congregation. Hannah, let's let's head back to you for a minute. Uh, so, as a as an adult, um, what has been the most important image or encounter, or whatever you feel has been the most important thing for you that you've had regarding race. There was this moment in high school. I had gone to a close-up trip. I, at the time, I was going to a small school in North Dakota. And we go to D.C. Um, the juniors and seniors took a trip to learn about government. And um, I met this one of the people who was in DC just helping to supervise the different high schoolers. She was this beautiful black woman named April. Um, that's all I remember of her. She was, if I was a, if I was a teenager, she must've been in her early twenties. And it was so rare for me to have an older black female model in my life. Cause again, my, my mom is white um, and we were living in North Dakota where we were the only uh, black family in the community. So I had no models in my community and I definitely didn't have any models from television at the time. I think the only actor that looked anything like me was Halle Berry. And it's, it's just like starved for that kind of representation. 
Uh, so I met April and she was this, this beautiful, seeming empowered young black woman. And we talked in the hallway one night. We talked about race. We talked about perception. And I got to share because at that time I had, you know, just being in the position I was, it's always been a subject that has fascinated me trying to figure out where my identity lies within this large thing and does it or um, what does it mean and and what is racism and so I it's like a bit of a self-study I started studying by like learning about Martin Luther King Jr. and then in college I would learn about Malcolm X and the Black Panthers and my community group at FAPC we studied we we wrestled with uh, the history of white people um, a few summers ago so um, I had always kind of like wrestled with this thing because over the years I had gotten a lot of feedback from a lot of different people. Like I've gotten feedback from black people that I'm white. I've gotten feedback from white people that I'm black, do that black thing, say that black thing. Like, and so I'm like, where, but where, who am I? Where am I in this? So me and April talked in the hall all night about race. And it was the first time that I could, talk openly and she really asked me what my perception was and and how I identified and she even used Halle Berry as an example because at the time Halle would talk about even though she was multicultural she identified as black um that was just her perspective at the time and and I came to the a conclusion that night of of you know you revisit these things over and over again uh as an American but I feel most comfortable claiming mixed to black um, where it's just like, that's been my journey. It's been a very winding road through like influences in the black community, being raised pretty much white culturally, feeling most comfortable in multicultural settings where I am assumed that I'm Hawaiian or Puerto Rican or Dominican. Like, uh, so that, that encounter with April, I would say was the first time I felt something like comfortable talking about it or regarding it. Salome, what about you? Um, what has been so far the most important image or encounter or whatever you've had regarding race? Um, I, I don't think I can really pinpoint one, one moment, um, but I think something that's kind of recurring is just seeing like images and videos of, you know, encounters with, you know, black people and the police or black people and a racist person. And just like seeing it happen with your own two eyes is really like it, like it can be really just shocking and disheartening sometimes. You know, you always hear stories about what, what happens, but when you really, when you really see it, um, it just it's 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 different you know when we started looking at having this conversation about stories um we had originally the plan was we were going to talk about COVID-19 um, and talk about the stories of people you know in quarantine and being home and in the midst of our planning for this these conversations um the protests um, surrounding the death of George George Floyd happened um and we you know really realized that we needed to pivot um to a, a different conversation, a conversation about, about race. Um, and Salome, what you 
I guess to kind of jump off and I'll ask, I'll go ahead and ask you this question first, if that's okay. Um, but to kind of jump off on what you were just saying about the, uh, the images. And, and I know a lot, we hear that, that, you know, these things have always been happening. We just haven't had the media and the technology and the cell phones to record. Um, you know, so it's not as though these things are new. It's just that we now have this technology that can, that can be our, our witness to it. Um, and so I, the question I guess is, um, jumping off of what you said about seeing, seeing these things with your own two eyes, what were your, what were your thoughts or your feelings, um, when you were watching the recent protests and demonstrations? Well, at, at the beginning, right after George Floyd's death, um, when everyone, like people were posting a lot on social media and it was, it was very hard for me because I like every day I'd wake up, I could spend like an hour on Instagram, just going through stories of different people and just like diff like different different like occasions of people getting killed or or just incidents with race and it was it was very like difficult mentally um but then when i like seeing the protests it it kind of it made me happy that so many like white people were involved in the protests um and i guess it just it it kind of gave me a little bit of hope for for the future i know just a few protests won't 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 change everything but it it was good to see that so many people are like care and and want to be involved in in bigger change. I made the choice to watch the video for myself, to watch the video of George Floyd being murdered. Um I didn't at first. I have a very sensitive psyche that I don't usually choose to expose myself to that, but when it comes to this matter, I spoke to my soul about it and it's just like I can't take what other people are are saying for the truth of it i need to uh, witness this and realize this for myself and in watching that my heart broke into a million pieces um and i cried i cried for george floyd and his family and everybody in the video who witnessed it and every and anybody who was a part of it like and it just changed kind of the quality of my heart and it kind of set it on fire a little bit um so that I maybe watched it on a, the Saturday after everything, and I was taking part in demonstrations by that Monday. I've done a couple of, um, I've done a, a demonstration at Washington Square Park. I've also joined one on Juneteenth, and I think it's it's important to be to be active, to get out, and it's no small small thing. It's not like oh. I'm going to go out in March because of whatever it's I considered that New York is still being rocked by a pandemic. But that's that's the stakes are so high that I just can't stay in. I can't sit on the sidelines. I can't be quiet or polite about this anymore. What lessons do you hope our country can take from this moment, from these these protests, these demonstrations, all that's that's been going on. It's time to be aware. It's time to be aware. It's time to own American history, the full story, unabridged and unedited. Um, and to see that story and how it feeds the present moment, that we haven't made it as much progress as we hoped we had since the, the movement of the 1960s. And what is that? 
what does that mean and how do we move forward? But first, we need to be aware. Like racism isn't some invisible phantom, like it's impacting both the subjugated and the oppressor nonstop in America. When you say moving into action, is it, can you just flesh that out a little bit for me? For me, action feels like, um, for instance, evaluating the relationship of the police and the communities that have been over-militarized and broken and abused by this organization. Um, and for, I think, healing and reconciliation to happen in those places, victims and survivors have to be heard. So how do we establish that bridge when it comes to empowering the black community in our city and all over America? It's just like, how are you spending your money? Are you looking for, for black businesses to support black restaurants, black clothing designers, black whatever? Like, is it integrated into your spending plan? So there are actions, larger actions you can take and then smaller actions, because, again, my opinion it's a social disease. So when you see some things going down uh, in your smaller circles or in conversations with friends or family, if it's making that place in you go off like your spidey sense or whatever, do you just are you just quietly like, oh, that's just Uncle Bob. That's just Aunt Nancy or whomever. Um, or do you say no? Do you challenge it? Hannah, I thought it was interesting that you used the word um, disease. Because I remember uh, like a few months ago, there was this headline on CNN that said um, there are two viruses in America right now, racism and COVID. Um, and so that, that really struck with me. And um, what I hope our lesson, can, our country can take um, from this moment is that the leaders that you elect have a big, big say in what, what goes on. And so I think just voting is so important even the quote unquote small elections, it makes a big difference in the communities and who you elect, you know, like they, they decide the, what the funds that get reallocated, what laws are repealed or added, um, what systems are changed or whatever. So I think just voting, um, all, like voting for every election is just super important. And, um, I just hope that this country can learn to listen to the experiences of Black people. I think I think it all starts with just listening um, and just reflecting on your your maybe like your part in racism, even if you're not doing it on purpose, and um, just reflecting on how you can you can be anti-racist and not just not racist. Mm. Say it again. As you see the the hopes for our country that that we were just talking about, do you see a difference, or do you feel a difference between the younger generation and the older generation in regards to the way they've responded to this, um, or or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. I think I think social media has very been very big important platform for the younger generations, um, and I think you know we're we're trying to use social media to kind of bring to light the injustices that are going on. And um, I feel like the older generations um, might be a little bit more ignorant, maybe not willingly, but um, just 
haven't been paying close enough attention and i think i think the younger generation is is just is really trying to push for for change what do you see as the the racial makeup of fapc and of your circle of friends there um well um i spend most of my time with you know like the youth group and the younger crowd but i i feel like it's a uh, majority white which is not which is not necessarily it doesn't, it doesn't bother me but um i think i think it would it would it would be nice to have more representation um and specifically in like the youth group i'm speaking for for the youth group i feel like in the past few years um there's definitely been some progress uh in terms of the the racial racial makeup Hannah, what what about you and your circle of friends? I know you've mentioned you're a part of a community group, um, and I I I don't know what other groups you are in, but how, what what do you see as the racial makeup of your community at FAPC, and does it meet your needs? So yes, FAPC is a majority white. I do believe that's just a fact. But for me, I sampled other churches. I did a whole millennial checklist of things I hope to find in a faith community. And I actually started that when I when I first moved to the city. I started with Adventist churches that were uh, majority Black. And for me, when it comes to uh, spiritual things, um, it's kind of a conundrum uh, that I walked through the doors and felt welcome in, in a, a majority white community. Um, not surprising. I'm not trying to be shady. Um, but yeah, my experience in it though, is that I found, um, a multicultural pocket. Um, like I'm in two different community groups and I'm a deacon. So it almost makes me feel in places like a hybrid of my experience in, in North Dakota and in Hawaii. It was actually, um, the Liu's who I, I know a mutual friend through them that I was in, I was suggested that I come to FAPC and I walked in and I was like, this feels like home. And I really took the the message that all are welcome to heart. Yeah. And does it meet my needs? Yes. Yes. One of the things that I struggled with when putting this together was I really wanted to make sure that we are not just asking people of color to teach us and to, um, you know, that that work is work that we also as white people need to be doing on our own. Um, what lessons do you hope that our congregation can take from this moment? Start, start with listening to stories of black people and then, and then proceed with action. I think a lot of the time people are wanting to jump straight into what can I do? What 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 can I sign? But I think it's important to just educate yourself first on what is what is happening, uh, what systems are built against Black people, and then and then to do your part after. This is something that can so easily be overlooked and forgotten. If you have the privilege that you you don't have to think about it daily then I hope that in this moment, people shed their privilege and do the type of, of learning that you suggested, Jamie. Part of it is empowering yourself to, to learn 
all so many more facets of American history that you got at a public school, at a private school, at a university, at a fancy college, like unless you take it upon yourself to learn it or you did African studies in college, like this is new data. This is new information. These are new stories. But to to listen and to learn and to believe, because the hardest part of having experienced racism is that, you know, to to some people, I didn't. It's like this ghost, like, oh, that didn't happen. That wasn't racist. It's like, no, that was racism and it was awful and we need to stop. And for for us to stop, we first need to, to listen to, to the voices that have something to say about it. And it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be downright painful. But my hope is that FAPC could be uh, that beacon of light in this city to do that hard work to take it upon ourselves and our communities, community to heal first and to be a model for the city at large in that. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Salome, do you have anything to add to that? <laughs> um, I think she summed it up perfectly. Um, yeah, no, I don't have anything to add. If you could, if you could see FAPC somewhere, uh, dream big things for where FAPC will be in five years, um, in relation to this, what, what, what would, what would those dreams look like for you? That we somehow developed um, a space or, or some kind of of um, mechanism for for discussion and healing that other communities of faith use to to address the issue like i think we are that innovative in this community there's so much intellect and light and i've seen it through personal experience in the deacon board people want to make progress people are tired of this same painful refrain like so in five years i hope we have something some way of addressing this in our own way that other people come to us and say how did how did you do that we want to learn to do that salome what about you um well i'm i'm part of the uh racial equity task force at fapc and you know we don't have the answers like you said but i just my i dream i hope that uh FAPC keeps keeps the momentum up, keeps having the difficult and uncomfortable conversations, and you know not just when when someone dies, just keep just keep keep the momentum and and keep fighting towards anti racism. I just love this faith community, and I mean I think that that's one of the parts of the solution is love. I, Dr. King saw it like fear can't drive out fear hate can't drive out fear love love can do that so i feel like when we lead with love and we hear god through that love then we're we've set the course we're on the path salome i love what you said um you know just about learning more about anti-racism and having that be something that's important um in the fall this is my little plug here in the fall we're going to be doing a, a a webinar with a uh, an organization that does anti-racism training. Um, so I do hope that our community, our congregation will, um, will hear that as a call to understand what the difference is between 
not being racist, and I say that with air quotes, um, since you can't see me, um, that the, the difference between not being racist and what anti-racism is. Um, and so I, I do hope that that is something that our community will take advantage of and, and be a part of. Um, I also think our, our theater, um, uh, our theater fellowship, fellowship, that's it. That's the word (laughs) I've helped with them before. I think our theater fellowship could be a part of telling black stories, telling, lifting up marginalized voices. I think that could be that I see something there. Oh, I love that. So so I just wanted to say that. (laughs) I love that. That's a great idea. At the beginning of this conversation, Hannah, you said that you felt honored to be a part of the conversation. I just wanted to let you guys know, I just feel so honored that you were both willing to have this conversation with me um, and to have this conversation with our community. Uh, I think it's it's important for um, our community to hear stories of people they know. Um, you know, you know, we can, you can watch the news and you can read articles and hear incredibly, uh, poignant and meaningful stories of people you don't know. And it doesn't touch you the way it touches you when it's someone that you know personally. So, um, thank you both for being a part of this conversation, uh, with me today. Next month, we are hoping to do a little bit of that work, um, We are going to be having a conversation with a couple of parents uh, in our congregation to talk about raising kids and why it's important to raise kids uh, as race conscious. Um, So we're going to be hopefully doing a little starting a little bit of that work um, and having that conversation um, of, uh, you know, that that we need to we need to start with our own kids and to start with our own uh, young ones to raise them up. So that is where we will be next month. Um, And then hopefully we'll be continuing these types of conversations in the fall too. So thank you again so much for joining me. And uh, thank you to everybody uh, in our community for being a part of this conversation. All right. We'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Crossroads. Our managing editor is Jamie Staley. Edited by Machina Brisbane. Reverend Dr. Charlene Han Powell, Kelly Bacayo, and Emily Dumbroff.